We are live! Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to In The Know. Today's episode is going to be a very fun one. We question whether the Pelicans are contenders and what their season has been like the last few games. They are winners of eight of the last nine games, I believe, if not ten. Um, really high winning percentage. They've won four in a row. Uh, it seems like things are coming along nicely. So uh, stay tuned, and we're going to let the, the stream populate some people. But hope you enjoy the show. What is up, Mason? Um, sporting the Tulane shirt, I see. Big, big week. Had to. Tulane. Had to. Yep. Yeah. Where, where were yep. you? What? So describe to me your weekend because it was a busy one, right? Uh U.S. national team, Tulane, a bunch of other stuff. What's up? Pel- Pelicans. I mean, winning winning a couple of games too. There was a. I mean, we the, we can just throw out the cr- crap that happened on Monday Night Football, um, which I know you care dearly about. But um, no, it was, don't even uh, know what happened. It was a good time. <laughs> I saw John uh, punching was... the Santa though. That was great. Loved it. <laughs> um, I was I was a, a, a lunatic. Um, it was. I think I got a taste of kind of like what, like a, the playoffs, the deeper playoffs would be like for the Pelicans. Cause like, I don't know, I, I guess I got pretty animated in those sun, some of those Suns games when Jay Crowder pulled that, you know, pulled that shit he did. But um, it's the first time I feel like I've cared <laughs> about a football game in a while. Um, so it was nice to, to, to come out on top. I feel like usually uh, it doesn't go that way, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was, that was cool. But Pelicans got a couple wins this weekend too. So a lot, of, a lot of good stuff for the city of New Orleans. Um, I don't know who Aramis Jones is, but I think he just tipped us. So <laughs> Thank bucks. you. Oh, my God. I, I don't really know how this works, but if that's what you did, I appreciate that. That is awesome. Um, Pels <laughs> are up. So enough football talk. I, I had to ask yep. you because people say we jump right into the basketball stuff. You don't talk about each other's lives. You don't, you know, build a camaraderie or community, but – uh, we are up talking about the Pelicans. They have won four in a row. Um, unfortunately, they have not had Brandon Ingram, who will also be out for this game against the coming Pistons. Um, but, hey, the Pelicans are here. And and some might even argue they're not even playing as well as they can be, right? They, they haven't had Herb Jones. They haven't had Brandon Ingram. CJ is still coming back from COVID um, in, in a way that he's not Christian James McCollum. Yeah, you know, he's just CJ with the lowercase. <laughs> lowercase CJ, right, exactly. Low, lowercase CJ. So, you know, tell me, where, where are you at with these Pels? And, and yeah, what, what what is going through your mind? And how are you feeling about these murder birds? Murder birds, I love it. The, I mean, this, the sky is the limit, man. I feel like we've been, we've been around this. Uh, we've, we've done this before. I feel like we did when the Pelicans were 2-0, and we were just like, we were pretty pumped. And I think it was a little bit before we kind of, like some of the coaching flaws or rotational flaws or game plan flaws got exposed, but that's the stuff that's being corrected right now, it seems like. And so look, hold out, I hold, let's hold out full judgment until we see the full team together and how the hierarchy flows, because that's, I don't, I'm, I have no concerns about this team, not being able, not the pieces not fitting together, this team not being able to play together. But I mean, like, but you have mouths to feed and you have, you're going to have some sort of pecking order hierarchy. You want to keep the same type of offensive flow that you've established here in the last few games. But I mean, Honestly, I mean, there, there are little things to, to question. I think Jonas Valanciunas is, is one of them. Um, but this team, the pieces are fit. You made a great point on Twitter this morning when you said every single player on the team has a positive net rating. 
so credit credit to the coaching staff, credit to the entire organization for um, flipping the script is the, is the wrong term because they've been you know decent all season, even if it was some of it maybe a little bit of a mirage. But the team's the team's playing well right now on both sides of the ball. Um, they have a little bit of three point luck, of course, but I I think we're we're splitting hairs. I mean, this team has is hopefully like 24 hours away from being on top of the, of the Western conference. If they handle business against uh, the Pistons and the, and the Celtics can take care of the Suns, but we'll see. Yeah. You touched on a lot of things that I want to cover this episode. So let me, let me start at the beginning. You mentioned um, hierarchy and, yep. and I think one of the reasons we are seeing a great deal of success um, for the Pelicans on both end is they are, are figuring out said hierarchy and they're figuring out that one Zion Williamson stands at the apex. He is the apex predator <laughs> that, as uh, Coach Mike Malone said, no one in the NBA can guard at a one-on-one level. And you have to have an entire team game plan for that kind of a force. And once you start treating Zion as the offensive force that he is, uh, everything else falls into place naturally. Um and things begin to make sense. I think a lot of both of our frustrations at the beginning part of the season was why are we going so long over a period of quarter, even, even multiple quarters where Zion is like a decorative floor element and he's just standing out in the corner and, and, and what's going <laughs> on. while, while, you know, CJ is dribble, 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 pull up mid range contested, you know, we're trying to run pick and rolls. And it's like, I get it. You know, he was, there's a Pelican saw a lot of success last year in that system. They were a Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum team and everyone else had to fall into place. And, and, and they were a CJ McCollum as a lead guard team. And that was necessary for them to make the playoffs. They did what they had to do to scrap like the Bulls with Levine and, and DeRozan. Like it's, you know, that's, yeah. that's what you got to do with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they did what they had to do and, and, and their approach of like, okay, well, this worked for us last year. Let's just try to like ease Zion in is, is not something I fault them for trying to attempt, right? But um, <clears throat> as these injuries, particularly injuries when, when both Brandon Ingram and CJ were out, have sort of what they forced is the Pelicans to get creative with what, there's, what their lineups are, force them to get creative with who the ball handlers are on the floor and, and figure out, hey, where are we generating um, advantages from? Where are we getting uh, creation from? And, and, it became very, very apparent very quickly that, oh, okay, hold on. We can use Zion on the ball and completely change the course of the game. And, you know, I think that makes JV's job easier as well, especially, we, we, you know, we saw it this last game and we've seen it more in these last few games where they're using JV and Zion and actions together more. And, and if you're having JV set screens or if you're having anybody set screens for Zion, good luck. You know, <laughs> that's good luck at defending that action. But if you're having JV set screens specifically with Zion, and running pick and rolls with those two. One, if a center switches on a Zion, they do not have the foot speed um, to guard him, and, and neither does the person switching on the Jonas have the strength to guard Jonas. Two, uh, as we're sort of slowly seeing, is if you go under on a Zion Williamson screen, you are giving him quite the runway to take it's a freight off. train. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a freight train. So there's no good solution. And, and three, if you put two on the ball, he's such a good passer. His interior passing to Jonas has been. Um, fantastic. And, and, you know, even if Zion goes up for the shot, you know, there's, you're not going to be able to keep Jonas off the glass at that point because you've committed two to the ball and, and those are going to be your two largest humans 
uh, and and good luck keeping Jonas out of the way. So that just it leads to uh, you know it, it leads to good spacing for them. It leads to to guys like CJ being utilized off ball. Guys like Trey, their their leverage, uh, their their shooting leveraged against other teams. But yeah, I mean it's it's looked really good. Yeah, I, I think I think the interesting part of this is as we think more about and I'm we'll talk the whole point is like are the Pelicans contenders? So we'll talk about the type of rotations, type of lineups they'll need if they if they want to be taken seriously. But I think it is the, the, the Jonas aspect is interesting because on one hand, he, I, I can buy the argument that maybe he's going to get exposed into the, in the playoffs and, you know, he can't really guard in the pick and roll. I can't defend in space. But at the same time, having a, a player like him doesn't have to be him necessarily, but having a player like him that almost necessitates the opponent matching up with a player with a player who can defend a big like Jonas or and rebound with a def, with a big like Jonas it creates those exact opportunities that you're talking about because you know if you play a Larry Nance for example um the, the you know whoever you're playing may not need to to throw out a, a five a, a traditional big so to speak where maybe that does that goes better for them defending the Zion a four or five pick and roll whereas with Jonas you, you you're creating some matchup challenges just by having him out there you know, we we hosted we hosted the playback during, um, what was it? Was it the Raptors game? I forget which game that we hosted. It was Friday. No, Spurs game. Spurs game. Oh, duh. okay, Spurs. The Spurs were terrible. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. You're convinced game. expensive of the game that this is not this is not a problem. We're gonna be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hosted the the um the playback against the Spurs game, and we were talking about how that morning Larry Nance had given sort of comments on the game is moving uh, towards. Yeah uh six four six nine style people and it was ironic that game was dominated by Jonas and, and Zion just feasting on the interior and they had that moment where Jonas was barbecuing the Spurs um in the third quarter and like everyone was getting out of the way and, and they had an excellent quote from Devontae Graham at the end of the, the game when Jen Hale was interviewing Jonas and Devontae was like why don't you, why don't you go ahead and tell the people like what you said um on the bench and it was something that in fact like this is this is too easy um and and you know so we commented on how like ironic it was that like hey like the the day that he kind of like kind of pumps himself up through the quotes like yeah you know the game is trending toward players like me like i'm very important um was it was a game that like Jonas they needed Jonas to like really take over i mean i think they would have beat the spurs regardless but that was a Think about yeah. think about what happened to the Nuggets game. Who took over the Nuggets game? <laughs> Your Billy Ernie, Jose, team. Jose, yeah. <laughs> Jose, the biggest guy and the smallest guy, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. Um, Billy too. That's a good point. Yeah, so we have two straight games now of Larry Dance's comments just getting thrown in the trash. <laughs> um, but but you know, I, I want to scale it back. You know, to to even the Raptors game. That is team like that. They are branded out of Toronto and Toronto media as Team Six Eight Six Nine. You know, that's that's their whole project. That's what Masai Ujiri wants to to build a team of versatile switchable defenders that like run you off the court and they can guard anybody and lo and behold who was critical that game Jonas Valanciunas um and and so he he becomes a man without an island if you sort of treat him as this this afterthought and and you kind of use him again as a floor spacer but then when you start involving him in, in screening actions for Zion in screening actions when Zion has the ball on one side of the court and he's on the other side of the court setting a screen for for CJ right or, or for Trey, if like one of the better shooters, all of a sudden the floor opens up because people have to respect those type of things. And the Pelicans, yeah. to their credit, have done such a good job of adapting 
this from the beginning of the season and and looking to get him involved even in matchups that like hey like these won't be particularly good for him like they want to try to get him involved early see if he can set the tone and then obviously like if it's not working for him they do have the Larry Nance but and, and and I will give Larry credit that he's been very good in the role that he's asked to play specifically when the matchup calls for it right the the Zion at center lineups as dominant as they have been in net rating wise they cannot rebound the ball they gave up almost 40 percent um of their possessions as offensive rebounds, which is nuts. It's almost a coin flip. Uh, and 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 with Larry, that number goes significantly down, and then it's really manageable. Um, and so so Larry has has done it. But you look at all of these championships that have been won in in the most recent stretch. They've been they've done it. One, they can play multiple ways. Two, they've done it um, playing big for large stretches of their playoff runs. So that's the Lakers with Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and JaVel McGee, right? When they needed to, when they absolutely needed to, and that's not something we saw until like very late in the finals, they hit the Anthony Davis at center button, but they avoided it for as long as they could. Um, Golden State just won playing Draymond and, and Kavon Looney. Um, and you could argue, oh, well, Draymond's not a traditional big. Well, neither is Zion, right? Neither Zion's not a traditional big either. Um, uh, the Bucks won with Giannis Portis. Um, uh, Brooke Lopez, and again, they have the ability to take Lopez off the court when they need to, but they didn't for long. Stretch. Remember, like I, I remember watching those net series, and and people being like, okay, well, like Brooke was like actually sinking them in in some of those games, and they had to like play more smaller lineups. But the good teams, the contenders, they have the ability to play more than one style, and I think that's why teams like the Clippers have run into to issue postseason issues is because they rely too much on one style. They can't swing the other way when when they need to, right? They can't they can't flip the hey, we're gonna be bigger than you button. Um because as good as Zubach is, like their preferred style of playing is that five out where they space you out, put all those wings. Like that is their 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 best style. And they don't have the creation um, you know, like I, I would say the Pelicans do that 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 would have kept them going in, in, into the later playoff series. So I don't know, man. I'm, I'm very excited uh, about how the method in which the Pelicans are beating people because it's not the same way every single game, and it's not necessarily the same players every single game. Yeah, and, and the the benefit of how this is unfolded, I think if, if you're going to have injury challenges, it's – I've – I've, I, I think early in the season, it's great that the that the injury cha- challenges have unfolded the way that they have. And what I mean by that is, we didn't have a stretch where everyone, where Zion and Ingram and like maybe like a game or two, like where everyone was out. And so what happens is, one, you stay competitive, and two, guys learn to play with each other that maybe otherwise wouldn't learn to play together. And I think that kind of goes to your point of you have to learn to play different ways, and, and playing different ways means you play with different people and you fill different roles in those in those lineups. And so the Pelicans are early on able to you know put different lineups together and have players get more comfortable playing with each other on top of the continuity aspect that I think you already see from one season to another and this this team having very little turnover um and so I, I think you're getting a lot of good experience uh for across up and down the roster um as you move further further into the season and obviously the next step here is let's get everyone let's get the the main players healthy right and, and let them get comfortable together that's that's critical you need that before you make any sort of playoff run but I am glad at least that we're getting the, the Pelicans are almost getting forced into playing these different lineups. And then again, credit to the coaching staff too for creating a bunch of uh, successful outcomes for individual players as far as uh, you know team success. I want I want to bring the conversation a little bit back to hierarchy before we address this question from from Craig. Uh, 
one one moment that particularly stood out to me, uh, or it was a couple moments where uh, this past game uh, against the Nuggets, there was an opportunity where one of the smalls or someone else had rebounded the ball. And normally when someone rebounds the ball, like the point guard or whoever's going to bring the ball up the floor, like hovers around them to make sure they get the ball and they like dribble, dribble it up the floor and set the, set the offense. And there was uh, a few plays where like someone got the rebound. Zion was hovering around the ball on one side. CJ was hovering around the ball on the other side. And normally in the beginning of the season and last season, CJ would just get that ball and then he would go and set the offense or do whatever CJ does. Um, it was, I don't know if it, you know, it's probably not predictive or it was probably just like how the game was going, but it seemed notable to me um, in those stretches, the players opted to just like look off CJ and just give it to Zion to have him set the play. And there was like a couple moments where it was like Zion got the ball and like CJ like noticed like, oh, like he's got the ball. I got to get my ass up the floor and, and like get into a spot or get into position like to run a play uh, or to have a play ran. Um, and I thought that was interesting and a little bit like symbolic of how Zion has taken his place in the hierarchy. And he's had to earn his place in the hierarchy because when you're a team that's had success without uh, him uh, and then has been to the postseason without him, you're not going to be just given the keys to the team. You're not just going to be given the reins to the team as much as me, the, the, the tweeter can like whine about it every, every single game, like, Oh, well, they should just give him the ball. Um, I, I understand and respect the fact that, you know, like he's had to earn it as well, both from his play, his productivity on the court, uh, his commitment, you know, to, to his fitness and, and, and just earn it in terms of his teammates respects. And I think the like his teammates like understand now, like, you know, given the people who are on the court, he is their best chance to, to win. And, and if he initiates stuff, everything else falls into place for them. Um, you know, outside of when Jose's cooking, then they just got out of the way. <laughs> they just got out of Jose's way. Yeah. Like, Yo, do what you got to do. Yeah. And, and, and this is why you give Caesar that extension, right? This is exactly the reason. Because if you try to do this and then you relegate a guy in a contract year to the third option and you really, you're, you're, you can create some friction. And so I think it, it has to be part of the calculus, you know, in, in the Pelicans giving him that extension when they did, that this was the most likely outcome, right? It should be CJ's the third option behind BI behind Zion. And we don't want there to be any sort of, um, you know, resentment around, around that hierarchy. And obviously it was the CJ show early on, but I think, again, you, you give him that extension up front because you may, you know, kind of the writing is on the wall and this helps to make it more, more palatable and more, um, you know, I, I think everyone falls into place more easily. Yeah, I, I agree. And if you're CJ McCollum and he had a really good quote, uh, I think it was the point forward podcast. It was, it was with Andre Iguodala and, and, and um, Evan Turner. They're asking about Zion and he said something about like Zion is finally like recognizing he's uh, can turn into the player that, that he's capable of being and, and not everyone gets to do that. Um, <clears throat> and so CJ deserves a ton of credit for, for this adjustment. And, and if you're CJ McCollum, you have to tell yourself, like I did my job, you know, I, I was brought here for a specific reason Obviously, like basketball, like on court stuff. Yes, you were brought here for that. But you were brought here because you were the pre you're the president of the Players Association. You are a leader. You have a platform, and you go to various other media platforms and and you talk about the team that you're on. Like that's you, you were brought here in a way to. I don't want to use the term legitimize the the organization, but if you remember this time last year, 
there was a lot of stink around the uh, the organization, and for good reason. It was like, hey, is David Griffin going to make it um, past this year? Like, does he have a relationship with Zion? Are we being told the truth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? There was all of that stink, none of which is applicable anymore, almost entirely because of the fact that the Pelicans started winning and being successful, but CJ did not play a small part in driving the narrative forward and, and bringing another level of legitimacy for the organization because he is that caliber of a player and he carries that weight uh, both in the media and across uh, the league to other players, but also because he was um, willing to go on camera and say, I wanted to be here. I wanted to do this. Hey, Zion hasn't texted me. What's up with that? I'll find out. Let me get to the bottom of this. And so none of that stuff was by an accident and, and, you know, you can call him a politician, you can call him whatever, but he did his job. Like he was brought in to get Zion committed to show Zion that the Pelicans are committed to, to building a great team and they can do it without him if necessary. And now that Zion is hooked and playing at this level, if you're CJ, you got to like congratulate yourself and the organization has to feel good about like, you, know, you make that trade and you pay him that money every single time. If the end result of that is Zion on the court and playing like this, it pays for oh, itself. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, shout out CJ for doing that. I want to bring this conversation to Craig Jackson. You say Zion is unguardable and our best player on offense, but isn't Ingram capable of being that player as well? Mason, I'm going to kick it to you before uh, bringing my answer. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're different players, and I think that's, that's important here. And I think what – and that's the reason it's, I think it's nice having both these guys who, who impact the game in different ways. I mean, you, you can score a bucket a ton of different ways. Like BI has the length and the ability to pull up over most defenders in the league and, and, and knock down a three. His mid range game is top notch. I mean, he's, and he, he can obviously get through, he's a three level scorer. He really is. But the, just the uniqueness of Zion's physique of his strength, you know, the, I mean, the type, just the, the type of, of athlete that he is, he just has an ability to impact the game in, in ways that BI can. And conversely, BI has a way to impact games that, that Zion can. So I don't, I, I don't, I, I have a hard time just saying, it, you know, can both these guys do these things? It's like, yes, but, but it depends on what you're asking them to do because they both, they both score at a high level, but they both score in different ways. And that's what makes this offense so, so dynamic. I think you give a non-answer. <laughs> I think you touched the question. You're being polite. I mean, is that how you feel? I mean, I feel what for this team to, to win a title, the, the number one option probably has to be Zion. I mean, like I, I think that's I think that's 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 a reality. But I do think that it's important to have guys who can score in different ways, which is what Bi and Zion do. They both score in different ways. Yeah, I mean, look, I think if you're looking at the totality of the offense, it can't be heliocentric. Uh, it can't be Luca Ball. It can't be Trey Young Ball. It can't be Harden Ball, right. and it can't be Zion Ball. Um, but when you when you when you look at okay like how are we like what is our identity and 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 what are we going to build around and what where, what is like what is everyone else going to do then in 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 my opinion those two things are not interchangeable because if your identity is let bi break the defense and set the table for everyone else not as a point guard but as like a shift coverage and have opponents game plan for you type stuff and then zion is the second thought to that then you're going to have a worse time on offense than if you do it the other way around. Zion naturally is a greater gravitational force than BI. And 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 that's not a knock on BI. That is just who Zion is because of the amount of pressure he applies um, 
at the rim in that, that area of the court. And because of that, he is capable of making the game easier for everybody else in a way that, in my opinion, BI, neither BI nor CJ nor anyone else on this team is, is capable of. And, and if you do it that way and you don't use Zion um, as an afterthought, your spacing is just going to be way better. Um, now, like, is there is there going to be a playoff series where uh, BI is just going to be um, absolutely like more productive on a game to game basis than Zion? I think so. I think there's very real possibilities. You have like playoff series where BI goes for 28, 29, 30 points a game where Zion's only like at 21 um, and he has a tougher time because of the way the defenses are playing him. But that's again, because of his gravity and he is capable of making the game easier for BI in a way that where he can go off for 30 a game, where I think if you were to split the roles, it's possible. It's doable. I I don't think it will lead you to the same number of wins. um, And I don't think it'd be as easy of a time. That's, that's my honest opinion. Is Is that fair? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I was part of this. I'm like, from a, on a game to game basis, can can both those guys, can either of those guys be our best player? And I think the answer. Oh is yeah, absurd. yeah, yeah. yeah. On, a, on a game to game, look like the the way the Pelicans are going to use Ingram, and, and Brandon Ingram is going to use Ingram. Is Ingram will do what he wants to do, and and he will get to his spots on the court, um, and and he will make his shots. And some nights those shots won't fall. Then whatever, you know that that's just the nature of it. They got plenty of other options on the court. But what they can't do is what they were doing in the beginning of the season, which was the offense was built around Ingram and CJ just freestyling and just vibing in the mid-range area. That's not an efficient offense. You can't have those two looks be the first priority when when you got other more efficient options on the court. And I think Ingram has recognized that himself. There's been a dedicated focus on improving his his three-point shooting and in particularly his catch and shoot three point shooting. It's a small sample. He's still one of the league leaders in percentage. Um, uh, when it comes to three point shooting, he's like at 48%. Hopefully he comes back on the court and he hasn't missed a beat um, in, in, in that regard. And so they have to play as a unit and there's absolutely going to be games where it's Ingram time. Like Matt, sorry, Zion, this is not your matchup. Like you are there to, to just take the pressure off of Ingram. And, and yeah. I think if he has Zion, he's happily, he'd happily get, um, you know, eight assists and and win the game rather than you know score thirty five and and lose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think I think that, that that that's absolutely fair, and it does make me think that you know I, I remember rooting for like I guess a lot of times Pelicans have a good thing good enough for me to care too much about the shot selection, but it is nice to 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 watch this team and beyond just kind of getting frustrated about the really good players. Like when, if I'm getting upset because CJ or BI are taking a shot, contested shot too early in the shot clock, I can live with that. Um, if it's if it's like Devontae or guys down the rotation that are trying to like it's it's me time, like like Jackson Hayes playing up from three with 14 seconds left in the shot clock, like I don't think we haven't had to deal with that. Or, or like or, you know, well, it was me time really, in in the beginning of the year, and that's what I go about to like. Hey, the team had to like Zion had to earn his trust with the team. Because they would go to Zion at the five or they would go to these Zion bench units and it was everybody but Zion time. And and you'd be like, okay, like, why is Zion playing center if he's literally never touching the ball? Like he's not there, he's not there to space the floor for y'all. Like, that's not how this works. <laughs> and let's let's be real. And and so like, yeah, like it was me time for, for other people. But I think going back to it, I will I, I just like I just have stopped questioning Brandon Ingram anymore. He can do whatever he wants on the court. Yeah. It's He's earned that right. He can just go have like go do what you gotta do. Like that Chicago game, he won that game for them 
by outdueling um, DeMar DeRozan. Like he was clutch every step of the way. And if he decides he wants to take over, you live with that. He's earned the right. And, you know, like there will be nights where like it doesn't work as, as, um, as, as he wants it to, or as we want it to. And it's going to be like on those nights, like, Hey, are, like, are you able to figure that out early enough to where you can adjust whether either to like the coming more of a facilitator or, or something else. But the large part, like, you know, I don't think Brandon or Ingram deserves that question. Now, you said, mentioned CJ, like is CJ taking an early pull-up shot? I am beginning to question that a little bit. And, and I think he is too. Like he's, he's settled down considerably over the last, six quarters or so is his, his first two quarters coming back from injury. We're like, okay, bro. Like I just got back from COVID. You probably shouldn't be trying to like do too much. And then the next six quarters have been, have been very good. Even though like the results haven't been there in terms of the shot making, but like finding his spots, knowing when to like uh, press the issue versus not press the issue. Like they don't need tough shot maker CJ at this juncture yet. They probably need him in the playoffs and they will probably need him as the season goes on. Just when guys have off nights, like Zion's probably going to miss some games. Um, BI, you know, BI, BI is hopefully doesn't miss many more games, but you don't, you just don't know. They will need that version of CJ, but when they got one of those other two guys on the court right now, um, I don't think they do. They needed them in the, in the Sun series. That's part of the reason they, they lost like that series in six games is, is because CJ couldn't be that dude as the number two and, and make a lot of those tough shots and, and kind of give that BI the support. I'm not saying CJ played poorly, but that's the kind of, I mean, you, you move that per, that player to the third option now instead of the second with BI and Zion out there, totally different ballgame. So, yeah. I, and he, he's had to adjust himself as well because he was poised this year coming in as the lead like, ball handler. Like, the media asked him about that. Hey, this is your first offseason. You're going to be playing the one full time. Now what's your responsibility? And he's like, oh, like I like to see guys as chess pieces. I'm going to move them around. I've been picking people's brain, yada, yada, yada. And that's how he mentally like prepared, prepared himself for the season. And now it's having to change once again, partially due to injury, partially due to like when there's a Zion on, on, on the team, you got <laughs> you got you gotta adjust the Ron Zion, not the other way around. It's 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 just yeah. the way things are. It's like you would you would never uh, relegate Shaq to, to to being the secondary guy, and and you know like Eric Eric, Eric Bledsoe, time, man. Yeah, Eric Bledsoe was never the priority over Giannis, even though Bledsoe may have wanted to be at times. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, 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 um, actually I want to put this comment up first. I totally agree with this. Like, like one CJ, the $30 million player is not going to get benched anytime soon. And, um, zero <laughs> no, percent chance. And, and, and two, uh, I agree that like Jose, while capable of starting and has filled in wonderfully as a starter when he's been asked to, uh, kind of like Tyus Jones in Memphis has filled in wonderfully when he's asked to like, he is at his best when he can just turn games around and the Pelicans really need that. Um, the Pelicans need to continue winning their, uh, their minutes. And, and so Jose is a huge part of that when he comes in off the bench and just demolishes opponent opposing bench units. But going back to what, what HUD said, um, let's move the conversation uh, a little bit forward uh, to, to what it looks like roster talk. And I asked this question, yesterday on Twitter, like if you could add one player to this team, 
who is making under $25 million. I use that criteria because if you put Jackson, Devontae, and Temple together, that's $23.5 million. And so the $2 million in change is like the difference they have between like tax where they are in the tax. And, and so they would probably have to sign a couple of like minimum level guys to fill out the roster. So they'd be like dipping their toes in the tax, but not really in the tax. Um, so that was like kind of my benchmark. Okay, you could sign, you trade for one guy I'm making under under twenty five million dollars. He can't be a rookie scale guy, and yep. he can't be an all star. Like, who who would you add? And there was a lot of great responses to that question. A, a lot of thought provoking ones, and a lot of non thought provoking ones. Because the question was like to make them a championship contender, and someone was like Cam Reddish, and I'm like the guy who's out of the New York rotation. <laughs> Um, there was another one. They were like Terrence Ross, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, got, I got a little Bamba. I, I don't know. It's like Bamba. Like, I got lots of Bamba. I take them, but that's not the guy, right? <laughs> Anyways, um, so so a lot of people chose big men. Um, Miles Turner was was a was a frequent answer. Um, you know, I know you brought up Robert Williams as someone who fit the criteria. Obviously, like the Celtics aren't giving up Robert Williams anytime soon. Someone said Mitchell Robinson. Uh, like Bamba, we've talked about was brought up a lot. Wendell Carter Jr. was brought up, um, which I don't think the the Magic have given up on anytime soon. Um, so this brings it back to Hud's question: Is a backup big upgrade necessary? It's it's the place to upgrade. Um, at the risk of you uh, beating your chest about you saying this months ago, um, I it's I guess it's, it's the difference between like is it a truly a backup big? Are we getting the guy we think is going to close games with this, or could close games with this group? Those are two different questions. But I think I, I think the place to add to this roster is that kind of four, five, the the Larry Nance type type of player. I, I think because I mean the someone who can defend inside um, and can isn't going to get exposed on a pick and roll and can you know can help you space the floor which is a lot of, a lot to ask and there are only a few players who really fit that criteria and none of them do all of it and so it, it is it is tough to find the right the right guy but um were there i'm curious what what uh i'm sure you have someone in mind but like what are are there different archetypes you're looking for or is there one archetype um it would not be the larry nance archetype because you already have larry nance and i'm not seeking to duplicate someone's skill set on this team unless they're like Unless it's like you know another Zion or Brandon Ingram or yeah, I'm saying, like that. I'm saying similar, not not the not the same. Oh, um, yeah. My, I I would go in a different direction. Um, I would want someone bigger than Larry, um, and I would want you know like someone. This is this is completely theoretical. Someone that had the Al Horford skill set would be like such a wonderful fit on this team. Uh, because they, they space the floor. He's just over the mark. I looked at him. He's like a yeah, they, or it, any guy he just got extended to in, in, in Boston, and so he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and the Boston, the best, the best team in the league. Why would they make such a trade? Oh, they don't need Jackson Hayes, um, or Devontae <laughs> Graham. Uh, and so I would want someone bigger than Larry, someone that brings a different dimension. So, like, uh, someone that's like closer to 6'10, 6'11, 7 foot. Um, and, and the guy that's like the poor man's Al Horford, uh, who doesn't necessarily give you the same stuff on the defensive end, but does give you maybe more, but definitely a lot of the same things on the offensive end is Kelly Olenek. He's someone that can 
um, pass the ball. He can rebound when necessary. Not like the fan, most like fantastic individual rebound like Nita Horford is either, but like in general, like, you know, he's, he's pretty decent at uh, being big. Um, his passing is quite underrated. He can, can really shoot the ball, can score. Um, and as someone that you know, like has a been around the game long enough to where you can like fit him into a system without much of a um, uh, on on ramp, and then like you can um, he's you can trust him to do the dirty work without like having without worrying about him being selfish or like trying to establish himself as the next star or trying to get this next big payday or or that kind of stuff. So like I think he's he's a really good fit. Um, in, in that but is he the one guy? Like, if you could pick in, in the criteria you gave, no, yeah, pick oh, in the criteria I gave, I'm I'm looking at like OG Ananobi. I think that that was my number one guy, um, because Mikael Bridges was someone that uh, everyone mentioned, and and Phoenix isn't going to trade Mikael uh, unless it's for Kevin Durant, and and maybe maybe not even for that. So the 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 one I think OG is gettable. It would probably take three to three picks minimum to to get him. Yeah. And, and I think he's gettable for largely the same reasons like someone like DeJounte Murray was gettable in the sense that uh, they're coming up on deals that, that their teams do not want to pay. And, and, and frankly, the Pelicans should not want to pay OGM max if that's what he asked for. <laughs> he's not worth worth the max. But if he win, if you know, if the Pelicans win a championship, then you kind of got to pay the guy whatever the hell what he wants. Um, but um, yeah, I, I like I like OG because I think he's gettable. The Raptors are kind of treading water here, and, and and I don't think they would mind having extra assets to be more flexible in, in trades that they need to be flexible in. Like for example, um, if if Brooklyn ever does decide to blow it up, like do they want to blow it up and take on OG, or do they want to blow on and take on picks and assets? And and um, so I think I think that trade. It would have to be like like late in the deadline, the, the Raptors being a completely mediocre team or like kind of out, out of the playing picture. Um, and and so, but OG is someone that can credibly play small ball five and, and has done so at a, at a really high level, like defensively. Um, again, rebounding is, is still going to have to be a team thing, but he's someone like you. If you, you don't miss, then it's not really a problem. Yeah. And, and he's someone that, like, gives you more scoring than Larry Nance. So, like, you know, if you want to to put, you know, if, if you're like, okay, well, Trey's not ready for those responsibilities and we got to play Herb and CJ still got to be on the court, then then the fifth guy you're looking at, like, you could put in OG Ananobi and feel really good about that. Uh, obviously, I want I want Trey in those situations. I want enough shooting as possible, but um, OG be the guy. But, like, the, the cheapest guy that I could think that could – really upgrade the team, especially in situations where like if Jonas has to miss any, any extended period of time and adds a dimension that the team does not already have in a stretch big is, is Kelly Olenek. That's the one I'm looking at. I'm like, Utah would give him up. Um, it'd probably take a pick, but whatever, you know, meh, the picks. Yeah. Um, and, and you it's, could do it. Someone who's got Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, Craig, uh, yeah. marketing would he be too pricey? Yeah, yeah, he would be too pricey. He um one ooh, messed up my mic. Sorry about that, folks. One, he was um one of the centerpieces of that Donovan Mitchell deal. Like Utah wanted him, uh, Danny Ainge wanted him specifically. Uh, but two, he's played himself into what looks like is going to be his first All Star berth. And as soon as you start like attaching that, and, and Utah knows like they they got no kind of desperation to make this trade. Um, that he's their best player right now. They will ask 
a a star's price for him. Danny Ainge is someone that does not chase deals, and and because of the way Markkanen is playing, it's just. And, and the only thing with Markkanen is he's not going to go from being the guy and an all-star to someone that gets 17 to 20 minutes off the bench and is happy with. Like, that's just not a thing that's going to to work. Whereas, like, Olenek, you can give, like, 17 to 20 minutes and um, you can trust him, like, he'll do his job in, in those minutes and, and not complain and be a good sport about it. So, I don't so know you're, 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 <laughs> I, I assume. You're, you're, not picking Jay, you're not picking Jay Crowder. No. I'm not picking Jay Crowder. I do think he'll make this team better, but like I don't, I don't. I think he makes this team better because it means you, there's just that's just another guy you don't have to give Devonte minutes to, and and he gives you like more options like if Larry goes down and that kind of stuff. But realistically, he just takes minutes from Trey, and I you you have to argue at this point how much better than Najee is Jay Crowder. I love that. And is it worth giving up Dyson? Is it worth giving up Dyson minutes to play Jay Crowder? I mean, I I think if you were trying to win it all today, like if you were in a playoff battle today, then yes, I would play. I would play Jay Crowder over Dyson. It's not characteristic of me, but I would do it. Um, But yeah, man, I I don't know. I don't think Jay Crowder would be that guy. No, I mean, like a guy like that, you're you're you. I, I would assume he, if you're trading for him, he expects to get to be playing, and so it's, I, the, the, look, it's another testament to how deep this this roster is. I mean, it's it's tough to find a consistent role for him in a, in a major way. Um, but yeah, I I I think I'm, I'm, I'm there are so many guys where like either the acquisition cost or the um, opportunity cost of other players' minutes just make it not a, like Markin's perfect example. Like, would he make the Pelicans better? Yeah, would he? Does what he adds to the Pelicans? Is it worth what you give up to give get him, and what you give up as far as the minutes? The minute would you give up, Mason? Would you give up Jonas in a marketing trade and just start marketing? Ooh, um, I mean, like, is it is it Jonas for marketing straight up? Sure, the salary works. Mm, yeah, it does. What's his next contract? I'm having, I mean, I'm having trouble with this. Um, Who? Marcus? He's on his deal right now. It's like, it's like yeah. it's 20 million, right? Something like that? No, it was less than that. He's less making like that? 15, 16. Oh, no, yeah. Okay, he's at, yeah, he's at 16. He's at 17 a year. That's what it is. Um, roughly. Yeah. Man. So, like, Jonas works straight up if they wanted to, or they can be like Jonas and Billy <laughs> or Jackson or whatever, Kyra. They can make the salary match in any way they need to. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> oh man. Um, I, I mean, if it's straight up, you've got to think about it real hard, right? Like, I don't think I do Jonas plus picks. I just, again, it's. No, it, it, well, okay. Uh, sorry. This straight up is a salary component. You have to include picks. Utah yeah, wants. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not doing that. You're not doing that. Okay. You I are. think about it. Well, the, the, the reason I think about it is because I think you just, you at that point lean all the way into being this offensive juggernaut that nobody can stop. And, and I, I do think you take a defensive and rebounding downgrade um, yeah. from, I think. I the latter is what I'm worried about. The latter. Yeah, I think, I think Jonas is a better, better positional defender 
Um, but like really, like they're playing Jonas twenty two minutes of a game. So like, how many minutes are you losing bad defense for? I don't know. Um, I think there's real arguments, man. I think there's really real arguments uh, of, of of doing this. I just, yeah. I mean, I, I guess if, if if that's the route you're going, I'm just not sure he's the guy I want to go go for. I don't know. Why? Just think of like, oh man. Well, who who would be the guy then? I don't. I mean, I got. I mean, if we're trading, you Porzingis. Know, it's a whole different conversation. Huh? Did you do Porzingis? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think so. Why Porzingis and I, not Markkanen? I trust Porzingis to be a better defensive rebounding. Like I trust, I trust him to be better at that. In the, no in way, the, you did since, not just say Porzingis is a better defensive rebounder than. Lockett. No. Oh, with the new Markkanen? Yeah. I'm not. I don't know. I'm not that big on on, on Laurie, Laurie's uh, rebounding. I don't. I mean, I, I don't think there's a tangible difference there. Okay, hold on, hold on. We're we're we're, we're looking this up. Uh, this season, Lowry is averaging six point three defensive rebounds a game, which comes up to a twenty point three defensive rebounding rate. Uh, Chris Stapps is, oh baby, Chris Stapps is averaging. Six point six defensive rebounds a game, which is um, slightly more. But what's the rebounded rate? Twenty one point eight, dude. It's very similar. Come on, <laughs> it's, it's better. It's better, but it's very similar. Okay, that will. <laughs> I, and I get the sim- salary differences. The salary difference is Porzingis is on a max. Yeah. Yes, he is. Um, and Larry's but- on a sixteen million dollar deal. I don't know. I think it's close. I mean, given like the the, the health concerns. Um, and I will say personality concerns, Zinger, possible cancer, possible locker room cancer. That's, that's, that's fair. Uh, Markkanen, I don't know. I don't know anything about Markkanen. I'm sure he's a nice guy. (laughs) There hasn't been any reports on, on Markkanen the way that there have been on Zinger. So. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was, yeah. Okay. Um, wow. I'm looking at the, oh, uh, is Jackson eligible to go to the G League? Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure like uh, a bunch of vets have been balling in the like you know like there's there's like like ten year vets that have gone to the G League. So everyone, you know, anyone can go to the G League if they want to. The Bells can definitely go send them down there. Um, flexible assignment actually works for anybody, uh, even if you want to do injury recovery. So like they sent Clay Thompson down there to to go recover from some injuries and whatnot. So. He is eligible to go to the G League. I think the better question is if he can join Dwight Howard and uh, put up 38, 14, and 9 uh, in, in Taiwan. Uh, all right. Um, so I, would, I, would do, I would do Jonas and two picks for Lowry and, and not really think about it. Um, this is a very small sample, so I need to go to a different season. But Laurie Markkinen, minutes at the five for the uh, – for the Jazz this year, they're in the first percentile in defensive rebound rate. Okay, well, what are what are Chris Stapps? And first of team, all, like the, what, the team, the team fucking cleans up. I mean, it's the, the the net rating with Markman at the five is plus seven point eight, so it's a good lineup. But they don't, you know, they don't you, rebound the ball. You know, you know what, the, the Zion percentile. You know the Zion, the Zion uh, at the center rates. You, you know what those are? Probably zero. 
<laughs> Probably worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zero and one. No rebounds for anybody. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I think we have to move on from this Laurie market and stuff. Okay, well, what what are they with? Seventh, seventh percentile last year is the five on defensive rebounding. So I don't who want to is, hear this. Who is, who is his uh, four? Who is who is Laurie's four on in the in, in Utah's the, most played lineup? Um, let's. I mean, it's a mismatch. Like the the most common uh, lineup is only a few possessions. It's it's 115 possessions overall. No single lineup more than 18. But Rudy Gay, uh, our Taylor Horton Tucker. And then uh, Beasley Bro. are the most common ones. Bro, okay, okay. No wonder that re- that unit can't rebound. Okay, no wonder that. Re- <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Rudy Gay, uh, that guy has one Achilles and is 37 years old. Uh, okay, anyway. anyways, moving, moving on. Larry. We talked about Larry marketing too much. Moving <laughs> <laughs> on. Moving on. Um, uh, there, there, there were a few more things that I wanted to hit. Uh, Craig's asking, are we going to see Point Zion a lot for the rest of the season? I think so. I mean, I don't. Again, I don't think it's going to be a full time thing. I don't think it should be a full time team. I would never argue for that. But I think it has to be included in enough doses to where that that like the defense knows it's coming, and and you got to be able to hit that button when when necessary. Like, how many times have we seen Zion just completely take over a quarter? You just score like six or seven straight or make every single right play, every single right read. Like they've, they've got to have moments where like, Hey, this is, this is how we're going to play. But like I said, there's going to be other moments where it's Brandon Ingram show and everyone's got to respect that. And Zion said, get the hell out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Then look, they they have to be strategic about when to use it. Like, I feel like, you know, I, I think about like in the second mighty ducks, when there's that player who can't stop when he's skating, and uh, they put him in front of like a wall of like uh, soda cans and try to get him to stop on the ice. But I think about like Zion and teams starting to try to adjust to point Zion. And I, I don't see that kind of force. I don't see, like, I feel like teams are going to try to bait him into offensive fouls as he, as he becomes more of a, a, a point point guard, so to speak. Um, I'm not saying it's going to work, but I, but I do think that's something you've got to be careful about because you don't want to get him in foul trouble because he's just, because he's pulling over people. Well, it's it's the Giannis thing, right? You build a wall, you defend him with bigs. He's better than Giannis is in tight spaces, so that's already like difficult to do. But it's build a wall, and and the issue with Zion and this iteration of the team is Zion's got way better shooters than he's ever had in the past, and he is more than willing and capable of making those passes. So, if you want to build a wall, and that means Zion not scoring, but it's Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Trey Murphy, Jose launching threes at you. Okay, great. We'll we'll take those three point, we'll take those three point opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, this is these are, these are a pair of good questions. Uh, uh, who consistently beats this team as constructed in seven games, and championship windows are way smaller than people think. So I'm going to leave this one up first, but I'm going to get your overall thoughts um, on on this team's construction and, and what you think about their their playoff identity and chances. So we hit. So that doesn't sound like the question that's on the screen. Who consistently beats the the team as constructed? And yeah, it does. It's related. Okay. I mean, I think I think you've got to like Boston Celtics are the best team in the NBA right now. Um, they're they're the the like the the top end rotation, especially when Robert Williams gets healthy. They can play different ways. I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, they're 
they're just even and kind of like the Pelicans, they've had guys out uh, out you know throughout. They beat they beat the Raptors shorthanded recently. I, I, I think they're the, the the class of the NBA right now, and that's gonna that's not a series I would predict the Pelicans to win. There are probably a few others, but we got to see the Bucks now. Middleton's back. We got to see that team. I mean, like they it, the Pelicans don't have a right at this point to claim they're better than the fully um, than the, the fully healthy Milwaukee Bucks. Um, the interesting thing is. If I look up and down the Western Conference, I have a hard time finding a team that, you know, Pelicans are the home home court advantage, or even like on a neutral site. Like I think the like same same argument for the Warriors. Like you can't argue that you're you're a better team than the Warriors in seven than in a seven game series, and you got to prove that. But every other team, we're about to see them play the Suns twice. It's gonna be, and hopefully you get Brandon back for at least one of them. I don't know, but I think that's a really good litmus test. We're about to find out the Pelicans. You know, they played a lot of road games so far this year, but they haven't played it. You know, th- their schedule has not been the hardest from an opponent quality perspective. It's been it's been challenging from uh, a road home uh, perspective. But th- th- this month gets tough real fast, starting with those Suns games. And so um, I think we're going to learn a lot more. But I think, um, you know, at, at minimum, you you, you know, the, the, the Celtics are, are the team to beat in the NBA. And, the, and I think, you know, I, I'm not ready to say the Pelicans can go in and beat them yet. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I will. I will. Since we are bringing this conversation to the podcast topic, are the Pelicans contenders? I need to see how they look like against the fully healthy Warriors. They have not seen Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Clay I've Thompson enjoyed those two Warriors games, though. I really have. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first one was kind of like, all right, what's going on? And yeah. you know, the second it was like one the Spurs was, game a little bit. Was was was, was a beatdown. Um, yeah. But. That Warriors team, I think the Pelicans bench is way deeper than than the Warriors, and it's not even close. For sure. I think about the playoffs is you don't see the bench. So, like, they yep. can play Steph 43 minutes if they need to. They can play Draymond all that time. So, so can can the Pelicans match up with that level of content, like competition for a, for a seven-game series? You know, um, can, can they match up with Zion – Draymond has defended Zion the best I've seen, and that was a couple of years ago. I don't know if he's able to defend this version of Zion in the same capacity, especially if Zion's got these kind of shooters. But the Pelicans' defense will really be put to task um, when when this happens, especially if they can't punish the size advantage with Jonas. If they can't keep Jonas on the floor that series, if it just means free threes for Steph and Clay, then the Pelicans have to play small. And again, the Pelicans have been very good no matter what way they play, but it, it will be a challenge like they haven't seen all season. So that's the one I need to see. You mentioned the Suns. Um, really good time in this this mini series that's coming up to to figure out who they are and sort of treat I would treat it as like a like a playoff stand almost, right? Because you play you play this team and you see them again two days later. That's exactly what you did in the playoffs, like that's you, you got to prepare for it in that kind of mentality. I, I mean, I, I don't know if they ever treat regular season games that way, but um, I certainly see it that way. And then honestly, like you have to look at the fully healthy Grizzlies uh, in, in a playoff series, they can also pose a problem where, okay, Jonas can't stay on the floor. Can you keep up with them? And Ja, do you have a way to slow that down? We haven't seen a Grizzlies team with all of Ja, Bain, and Jaron Jackson fully healthy. And then they haven't seen a fully healthy Pelicans team either. Um, so that's that's a tough one. And, and in the East, uh, the I still have the Bucks as the overall favorites. Like, I don't care about how good the record 
wow. for the Celtics is, I mean, I, I just think when push comes to shove, like that team, when, when, when Middleton gets going, um, is, is they took Boston's team last year without, without Middleton to seven, you know, to, to seven. And, and I think if they had Middleton, like that wouldn't have been as close of a series. So I, I need to see what that looks like. I think Giannis is just, there's no answer in the league for him um, at the moment. And, and I certainly don't think there's one in the Pelicans roster. Um, that game's really going to come down to who shoots better from three. <laughs> if, uh, if that was a series. And, 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 and there's like little matchups everywhere where it's just like, okay, like, yeah, those teams may not necessarily be like, as good, but like, is their playoff experience worth more than the playoff, like the Pelicans' playoff experience? Like, what does it look like um, with the Sixers? Even right? the team what we just beat. I mean, with with Michael Porter Jr. healthy, I mean, that's 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 a that's a tough team to beat in seven games. I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's a tough matchup. I I haven't. I'm not saying the Pelicans aren't contenders, but I think bringing it back to uh, Sonny's second point, which is championship windows are smaller than people think. I do think if the Pelicans at a deadline have an opportunity to make add a difference maker, a needle mover, they should not take that for granted, regardless of how good their their record is. Um because yeah, the these windows disappear and you do yourself a disservice if you don't go for it, if you have if you have every opportunity to to go for it. But uh you know I I don't I don't know, it's tough. It's tough. Are you? I am not willing to say they are contenders yet. I am not saying that they are pretenders either. Uh, I don't think anything they're doing is fake or or unsustainable. I I need about. I, I I need to see what this next ten games looks like. Let me see this next ten games, and and if they go like six right. or four, or seven or three in these next ten games, then then I'm probably on board with this with this contender status. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, like the Pelicans, the Pel- the Pelicans, you know schedule to date they've had some guys missing but they've also had some benefit of other players being missing in the games they played and even i i, I haven't heard i haven't looked up but i assume chris paul is going to be out for both of these suns games too it's, it seems like there's a lot of uh like a silence around what's going on with him um but look i mean yeah after this game on wednesday which hopefully the pelicans can take care of business they've got the suns twice the jazz twice the suns again I didn't realize they put them three times in the next five games. Yeah, like that's I said, it's a three. That's why they <laughs> gotta treat it as this like playoff series. Yeah, and then the Bucks, uh, then the Spurs, and Thunder again. But like that—that—that's a stretch of the ne- the next six games after the Pistons game. Those are all you know good to to fantastic teams. Um, and so we'll, you know we'll see we'll we'll see after that we 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 can talk then. But um, yeah, I mean let's let's see this good let's see the stretch against good teams before we you know. Uh, anoint them uh, true true contenders because look even team even in the playoffs if you if you feel like in the one the regular season this team is good enough fans are gonna get frustrated with things around like how this team is officiated right like all it takes is I mean guys like Steph Curry and and John Morant they're gonna get Herb Jones in foul trouble it's going to happen and so the question is, what do you do about it once that happens? And so the Pelicans, not you know, you mentioned at the start of the podcast, they need to be able to play in different ways. They need to be count to, to be able to counter uh, opponents' strengths and, and things that they're going to do to disrupt your your game and your offense. And so um, there's a lot that goes into being a contender, not just you know, are you a good regular season team? We've seen plenty of good regular season teams fall on their face in the playoffs. Um, and so I think. Um, you know, I, I think we, we have a lot more to learn. Um, but look, I I think it bears it's worth mentioning that 
shit looks wide open this year. I mean, it, it looked it looked kind of like that last year, but it looks like that again this year. I mean, um, the the Celtics are clearly again they've they've been the best team in the NBA. They were they were in the finals last year, even though I agree with you, the, the healthy Bucks. I think they would have beat that team, but. I mean, there, especially the Western Conference, there's a bunch of teams that have that that could come out of the, of the conference, and so, um, you know, the, I, I I'm with you that if there's a move that they can make to 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 take another step, then they should consider. I'm second guessing after we listed all those teams. I'm second guessing Kelly Olynyk is the move that helps you against those teams because <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, okay, wait, let me That's think about who's on those teams. <laughs> <laughs> like he's not the guy, and we we agree. OG is probably the right within the parameters of game. OG is 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 the answer. But yeah, um, I mean, I will say like like a, in a way that 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 Olenek, like would help you is if you completely seed the possibility that you're not going to defend their best player um, at the level that you hope to do so. So you're trying to keep up with that team in scoring. In that sense, yes, I think Olenek would be a home run fit. Is that he would make sure your offense stayed afloat in a way that the other team could also not load up on your best players and, and defend. Because if they run a unit of CJ, Trey, BI, Zion, and Olenek, they, yeah, they may not defend at, at the level that anybody wants them to, but who is going to defend them? That's what I would ask. That's what I would ask. Do you feel like um, Olenek is – makes that the offense disproportionately better than an OG or a McHale? No, no. I think, I mean, those guys are pretty nasty. Like, I don't think, (laughs) (laughs) no, not, not better than those guys, but like, I think over someone like the guy that's listed right here at a lower cost, at a lower cost of acquisition. Um, Yeah. I I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 so is miles Turner the answer? And and it, and look, I'm a hater. Uh, I always have been. If Miles Turner has never been the answer for me, uh, and and it's certainly not going to be the answer if, if again, like if the answer is trading Jonas to make that happen and making him the starter, no, because then I think you do lose a dimension of the team that is actually a strength right now. If the answer is bring him off the bench and give him 18 minutes a game, that's not an answer either because he wants to get paid like like a star and he wants a role like a star. So, um, no, I, I, I just don't think Miles Turner is the answer. The, I just don't think that small bit of, like, shot blocking gives you is worth it at the expense of, of everything else. Honestly, like, even if he was the best answer, I'm probably taking the second best answer who has who doesn't give me as much heartburn over their contract extension that's looming. Like, that next contract for Miles Turner would terrify me. And it's to a degree that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making that move. I mean, I'm just, I just can't, I, I, I can't sell myself on it. Um, you know, I'm, you know, it, yeah, it's tough. Um, <laughs> Are we ever going to disagree on something? I mean, disagreed on the Lowry stuff. I would trade for. <laughs> I would trade you. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, we disagree. Yeah, we disagree about yeah, and um, uh, on Porzingis. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, okay. Anyways, um, I want to I want to bring this conversation um, 
back back to the towards the contender stuff and and seek to wrap it up from there. So in your eyes, we talked about like what it needs to look like from a win loss record and, and what it um what they need to do uh against the good teams for to solidify their status as a contender. But um is there is there anything that you need to see on the court changed in like schematically, rotationally, a leap from a certain player, etc. before you like really buy in uh, at, like you know, as, as this is a team that could win it all. We're not talking about like a deep playoff run. I think we're all kind of like at the stage, like, hey, this this team probably make a lot of noise in the playoffs, but we're talking about win it all. Um, I mean, more than anything, I just want to see how this works when everyone's on the floor together. Like, I I buy I buy the coaching adjustments that have been made, and I think that they'll carry over. But look, it's when I, I want to see this team in crunch time with the full lineup together. I want to see this team, you know, get out to fast starts with that lineup together and not have to worry about, you know, who's getting, is everyone getting enough shots? Um, I think that's the big thing. And so I'm going to withhold judgment until we get that um, because I, I don't think I can, I, I can accurately say like, is this team ready to, to, to be considered a contender until I, until I see that. Um, but I do think, you know, le- less importantly is, is, I think there are some questions still I have around the rotation, how how the, how the Pelicans are managing these things, and like like Jonas is one. Um, uh, you're you're beating the drum on it. I still am. Like I don't if if Jonas is going to be given the type of role that that Willie Green and the coaching staff are giving him this year, I think his entire substitution pattern needs to change. It started to change. Um, you know, the, 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 Willie's been bringing him and CJ in together off the bench at the start of the second quarter. Zion's closing out the first quarter by himself. I think that's a, a positive step. But I also just like there are some of these, and again, Billy played a fantastic game. I think you and I would both agree that's not really sustainable. Billy Hernan Gomez, and if you know they 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 put themselves in the situations where they had where they used him when they didn't need to, and other other players I think got more minutes than they really needed to, um, and that that is a little concerning to, to me because I feel like the rotation can be optimized a little bit more, but look, I think those, those concerns all go away in the playoffs because you're shortening the rotation anyway. And so I don't actually think that's a concern about being about contender, not contender. It's something I, I would like to see help the, the regular season record and, and put them in a better seating for the playoffs, but really it's just about the, the full squad being healthy and, and folks falling into their roles the, the right way. Cause you got to figure out if, what what trades you should consider as we get closer to the deadline? So, how deep do you think they should go in the playoffs? As 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 their substitution goes, not like what round they're going to make it to. How how many players should be a part of that playoff rotation, and which ones? Um, if, uh, assuming the roster doesn't change, it, yeah, I mean it's eight. I think it's eight that are. I mean, you you may play nine in earlier if. Eight to nine is probably the right answer. And the ninth would be, well, the, the three off the bench would be Larry Nance, um, Jose Alvarado, and Trey Murphy, or if Trey Murphy's still on the bench at that point. Um, the, the, I would I like to, I, I don't, I don't, huh? I love how you snuck but, that in there. If Trey's still on the um, bench. I think that you can make an argument, depending on how the season goes, that Dyson Daniels could be that ninth guy. I don't buy it as a rookie being in a deep playoff rotation, deep, deep into the playoff rotation, but he's the guy I'm, I'm withholding judgment on. 
But that's well, there that's was three it. rookies in the deep. Well, not the deep, but in in a playoff rotation Come last on. year for the Bills. Come on, that was a one run out. But that was out of pure necessity. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I think it's got to be eight until proven otherwise. And and but what I think is, I think you got to start the series playing nine or ten. Um, because you can't you or can't 10. play all your interesting. I it just depends on who's on the roster, right? But like I can see yeah, more fair. They, like you know, it just like if if they add that extra extra guy, right? Then you're gonna bump it to nine. Um, but if they don't add that extra guy and you're keeping the roster as it is, um, then like you see what Devontae can give you over a three minute period. Like if he comes in and hits three threes, that changes the game like immediately, right? Um, I'm, I'm not going there. Not not well, for a minute. I, I can't. Too many small guards. There, but every coach in the NBA, they start. They start each series, not even like, like they'll start, they don't want to show all their cards. It's a seven game series and, and they'll see what they can get. But then there's Najee too. You go on 11, you go on Najee Marshall too, and then make an 11. Brother, Brother Willie Green's going to pull Garrett Temple off the bench. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man, where does it stop? Where does it, it stop? It doesn't. It doesn't. But oh yeah, we completely forgot about Najee. And, and I think Najee will get run in the playoffs because of, of his, his ability to, he changes the pace of the game along with Jose. He brings in energy and coaches love that stuff. And again, at the beginning of the series, all of these guys will get a run. And then as the games progress, the rotation will tighten. And then if they make it to the next series, the same thing will happen. It'd be like, oh, we just knew that this person didn't play well. Why are we playing them again? Because that's just how coaches approach it every single time. They do not play all the cards. They use some of that time to test the other team and figure out what they can get away with. Because you just don't know. You just don't know if one random night, some boy is going to pop off for 38 points off the bench. And that dude's name is Jose Alvarado. You just don't know. Um, but I think you just have a much shorter leash, right? Like if, if the, if the game starts to swing, the momentum starts to swing, it's not like, ah, we'll figure it out. Like the regular season. Like we'll put Tony Snell in. He'll figure it out. <laughs> I will never forget that. That was a. The third to fourth I quarter remember. swing in like, <laughs> what is Willie Green doing to Willie Green is the best coach who ever lived. Like that was, that was a wild ride. Just a wild, wild ride. That that was, yeah. I, I have no comment. I've I've had plenty of comments on it. I will have no further comment <laughs> on it, at least not today. Um, but yeah, man. I you know I, I it's just one of those things where they would probably do themselves a favor consolidating some of those players, so you don't have to make a decision of whether you want to play Devontae Graham in the in the playoffs or not. Um, and and bring in a guy that you actually do want to play. But we'll we'll see. I'm I'm so curious to where teams are going to be come uh trade deadline because the plane has created a system where everyone wants to be a buyer because they feel they have a chance to make the playoffs and very few team wants to be a seller. And, and, and this year is sort of accelerated by the fact uh, that when Yama is, is projected to be a draft pick. So there's possibility that teams that are just kind of middle of the road, call it quits. Uh, or, or you know, just decide to blow up their season in in February. But who those teams are going to be, it's it's so curious. Like, is Chicago going to be one of those teams? I don't know if they can afford to be right. Um, it gets Toronto going to be one of those. Like, there's just like are the are the Wizards? Um, would you take? Oh, there's a, there's a guy. You know, that's that's getting all the buzz. Would you take Kyle Kuzma? I, 
I knew that's who you were about to ask me, man. I just knew that was it. Um, would I take Kyle Kuzma? I mean, yes. Um, man, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched him play enough this year to, to be able to comment. 21 points a game. Like, I, I know that, but like. You know, the other problem with Kuzma is the same problem as everything else is he wants his bag and he thinks he's a star because he's averaging 21 points a game. And his shots. Yeah. That's like, that's that's like the John Collins problem. It's the Jeremy Grant problem. Like those are all, those are both guys that fit your criteria, but like, how do you, how do you create a pecking order with those guys involved too? on the And Kuzma's won a ring. So like he, he he would, (laughs) he would, uh, I don't know. It'd be an interesting fit. Um, Yeah. It's just so hard to like not play 2k. And, and think about like the contracts involved, the people involved and, 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 and their fit, which is like, uh, like it's tough, man. It's tough. And there's some guys you're willing to make those exceptions for, which is why we keep going back to, to someone like OG, you're willing to make that exception. I'm like, all right, well, this guy needs minutes and shots. It's like, yeah, like if we traded for OG, I would bench Herb Jones and start OG. Like that wouldn't be a question for me. That's, yeah, that's not a controversial take. Here's another. No, here's an actual question for you: Would you trade Herb Jones straight up for OG? And so it'd be like requisite salary, right? So like Herb Jones and like Devontae Graham, or Herb Jones and Devontae Jackson, or whatever. As the as the as someone who aligned with you on trade trade sell the farm for Kevin Durant, I feel like I I. I feel like I should say yes to this, but, but Kevin, wait, I, wait a minute. Why, why is that related though? Kevin Durant and OG are way different. Being being willing to jettison the young guys, right? For for players who who get you closer to the title. I mean, obviously Kevin Durant's the extreme version. I'm not saying they're the same, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I guess Herb Jones. I keep thinking like Herb Jones. The contract is so valuable. He's like one of the best value contracts in the entire NBA. I'm not sure I'm doing it. Straight up, you would have to. Shit. <laughs> I feel like you have to straight up. Like if, I don't know. I, I'm trying so hard not to, but like if you could trade Herb Jones and salary filler for OG, I, I don't see how you – like the Rap, Raptors fans would say, fuck no. Like there's no way they would do that. So uh, on the Pelican side, you kind of have to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it just – you have to see if this team is like 40 and, and 18, 40 and 19, I think every move that pushes them towards a title needs to be looked at. Yep. And, and anytime this is, this is a Daryl Moryism, which is ironic because he hasn't won anything. Um, but anytime you could tilt your championship odds by even 5%, if you could, if you could guarantee a 5% chance at a title, like total in a year, you have to, take that chance because otherwise why else are you in this game like why what else are you are you trying to do yeah there's yeah there's there's layers to that though because you know, the inherent implication of a five percent chance means that most teams are below that right there's a few that it, it oh, puts you in the running it doesn't make you a favorite but it's like five percent doesn't mean there are 20 teams or, or, or like a, a bunch of teams with the equal five percent chance like there's 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 dynamics to this so um but yeah i understand that the, the concept um i will have to ask the chat uh how many people do we think changed the culture because I, i'm trying to keep track here it was it josh hart was it was it Willie Green? Was it was it Herb Jones? Is it Brandon Ingram? 
um, combination of the above. And, 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 and I am asking this facetiously because I think we attribute a lot of things to individual players that aren't true um, because we want them to be, because that's the narrative that like we build up. And, and oftentimes um, that's just not the case. And, and, and so like Herb Jones, for example, I do buy change the culture and, and the fact that he came in with his hard hat and tool belt on from day one was willing to work and grind uh, all those things. I think those were um, enormous assets that he brought to the organization. The fact they were able to trust him and, and he's, he's like a proof of concept. And this is like, Hey, you do your job. You're good at your job. You're going to get rewarded in terms of playing time. And, and, and we can like build our identity uh, uh, around that. So I, I agree. But some of these like other examples that people use about the culture and, and all that, um, I, I I don't agree with and 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 I don't think the team would necessarily agree with either. Like I, I was I'm trying to avoid saying this, but people like used to like attribute Josh Hart all the time. They forget that Josh Hart was in people's DMs talking about going to New York like the February before. Like that dude did not change the culture of this team, and nor was the team's culture dependent on what he brought. A lot of people were against the CJ trade um, because oh, we're going to lose Josh Hart and we can't lose him because of the culture. And I would argue the culture is still here, um, even though Josh is not. Anyways, um, this one, this one, this one is true. This one is very true. Willie Green is the person that came in and changed everything and none of it if possible. There's a difference between finding players who fit the culture and actually changing it, right? Like no one, no one's saying like that. All, all these guys don't, weren't good ads and didn't add to the overall culture and the and uh, the like the vibes in the organization. But I think it says a lot to say that someone changed the culture. And yeah, I agree with you. Like I, I don't even know if Herb Jones changed the culture. Like Herb Jones, uh, I agree with everything you said about how you know it shows that hard work pays off, but. Look, he's a second round pick who became a starter. He's not like he's not somebody who is going and getting 20, 20 points a night and is going to kind of lead the team out of the tunnel, right? Like it's not he's not that guy. I think did Jose change the culture? Just what because he scored 38? No, because he's Jose and the energy he brings and and like the larger in life personality that he is. Or is he just like an no. you know interwoven fabric part of the fabric? I think it's that. I think it's the latter. I mean so, but you're in, you're in closer, you're, lo lo you're local. You you see the team more day to day basis than me, and so I feel like you you can weigh in better on this than me. But yeah, I, I think I think that's I think what's on the screen is, is right. I think Willie Willie Green changed changed the culture for sure. Um, but I just think there's a lot of things that that contribute to, to to what a team's culture and identity is. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that those players are a part of what makes everything the whole picture. And, and it's important to have a lot of those players that fit together. Um, and it's important to take into account um, how those pieces fit when, when discussing roster moves and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's important to also have a requisite amount of talent um, on the team. And, and you can't at some point, like culture has a limit to how far it'll take you. And, and beyond that, like, you need to be weighing in, like, the basketball aspect um, side, side of things as well. And I don't think we are at the, at the stage 
where we have to worry about the basketball side with the Pelicans with regards to the culture. Like, I don't think they're at the stage where they have to sacrifice any of their type of guys or their guys at all um, to, to decide like, Hey, like, Hey, we've hit the absolute ceiling that we can possibly hit. So like, okay, like these are some aggressive things that we have to do. But I also think that they don't have to sacrifice their culture at all in order to go make this move at the deadline, because like, I don't see losing Devontae Jackson, et cetera. Um, as, as, a, as a huge blow to the culture. And I also don't believe that like, if you were, if you had to include uh, a Herb Jones, if you had to include a Jose for a star level player, that the culture would take a hit. Uh, because if, if one piece of one part or one person was the whole culture, then you didn't really have a culture to begin yeah. with, you had that person. Um, and so cultures, yeah. I think, I think would stand, good organizations and good cultures would stand the coming and going of players because there's something more permanent there. And that's what the Pelicans should be building. But that's, that's my philosophical cool. discussion of it. Uh, sure. People are going to think that means I want to trade her or I want to trade. <laughs> 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 culture, culture is fun. It's fun. Culture is fun to talk about when you're an ascending team. Right. But if the Pelicans come out of the gate this year, six and 17, or, you know, like, or, or, you know, a few games below 500, Culture suddenly culture doesn't start to mean as much. The, the 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 players who they are, what they value, their work ethic could be the same. But if you're just not winning games because you're not good enough, like are, are no culture withstands culture that. No culture withstands losing. No, none. Not no. prolonged losing. No. Like they can withstand like ten games, twenty games, but not like seasons worth of it. Anyways, um, we've certainly talked about uh, this a lot. Okay, so I'm gonna end it with two things. Gun to your head, do they make this aggressive buy-in move at the deadline? Or do you think it's just kind of like a shuffling of the deck where they just consolidate, like, you know, they, they trade their their 14th and 15th men for, like, a 13th man on the roster or 12th man on the roster? I, I, I think they go bigger than that. Um, I'm, I, I, if your follow-up question is who, I, I, I no, 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 I don't go there. there. No, no, no. Okay. Um, but I, I think – I, I, I do not think this team will pay the tax this year. So let's get that out of the way. Like, I don't think there's any scenario in which they're going to, I think they'll, I, I'm not saying next year they won't, but I think, I don't think they want to be in a situation where they get exposed to a potential repeater scenario next year. So I don't think they pay the tax, but I do think they'll, they would be willing to, you know, put a couple of picks on the table to, to upgrade the roster. I, I think that's, I, I would, I, I would expect that, um, you know, obviously assuming that this, the, the wheels don't come off the bus over the next month or so. Okay, so you think that they are, are, are going to make that aggressive move. Okay, so if they do that, um, the two things I'm going to ask you is, do they put this current Lakers swap on the table? Yeah, mm, I, think, I think so, yeah, I think so. Okay, and the third thing, and this is a complete prediction, what do you think the end result of this is? With the, with the Pelicans, how what is their what is their success like? Where 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 do you think they end up this year when all is said and done and the last shot has been shot? Um, I think they, I think they win a playoff series. Um, a series, all that for a series. Look, if if you're saying you win two series, that means you're a top four team in the league. Like that's what it means. And so I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not ready to go that far yet. I mean, I'm just not, if they make that move, 
and lose and lose a seven game series in the second round of the playoffs, I'm I'm, I'm going to sleep just fine knowing that you know this is not this is not the end. <laughs> so, I get it. I mean, I, I get it. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm just like, well, the AD team won a series. I they guess I'm just not in the second round. I, yeah. I, would, I would be upset. I would be upset if, if in round two they got curb stomped. Like I, I think I, I would. I, I'm thinking like this is a team that wins a series and wins a series convincingly, and then goes and, and then the second series is a real series. Like it's a, and either team could win, maybe because of the inexperience or you know people want to blame officiating, like a bunch of, a bunch of reasons why I could not go their way. But that's I feel like that's a reasonable outcome to expect for this team given where they are in the overall experience level. Okay. Um, then I guess my, my follow-up to that is, uh, I guess it's a two-part follow-up. Is, is this a home court playoff team for the first round? Yes. Is it a home court playoff team in the second round? Not ask me in a month. I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready to say that. Yet. I don't think. <laughs> Where's this, the commitment? Point. Where's the commitment, Mason? I'm giving you a bunch of, I'm giving you a bunch of hard answers here. This is, uh, this is just not, I'm not. We don't have enough information yet for me to tell you if this team was really that good. Okay. I think Where yes are you? to both. I think they're a home court team the first two rounds, and I think they win those. I think Western Conference Finals, here we come, baby. Western Conference Finals. Oh, shit. There goes my mic. Um, Western you, Conference Finals. Uh, what's, what's the, uh, what about the trade question? You, you think they're what, in the Laker pick swap part? Great, we can't hear you. You're, what a cop out! You're just faking that the mic's broken, so you don't have to answer the question. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's good. I can hear you. Uh, anyways, um, I do think they put that pick swap on the table. I think they they put, I think they put everything on the table, and and I think they try to like swing as as hard as they can. However, I don't think they are successful in swinging hard, and they settle for um, a consolidation move. And despite that, the Pelicans are still a good team. And and the real move comes this summer, um, and in which they like dangle their expirings. That's where I'm at. I yeah no I I, I can I can see that. Look, it's it, it's hard to to make a midseason trade for a title team. You know, like it, for 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 a real difference maker, right? Like you can you can trade for your your sixth man, your seventh man, and and be all right. But like at, you know, getting a main piece and integrating them, like not not. Very, very few teams are successful doing something like that. And so, um, you know, if it doesn't happen the way that Pelicans are hoping it does, it's not the end of the world. Yep. All right. All right, folks. Hour and a half later. Uh, an hour and a half later. I think um, my mic has lost connection, so the audio quality has changed. So that means it is time for us to shut this podcast down. <laughs> Big week ahead. I totally agree with you. Uh, Fuzzy, this has been um, an, an excellent team that has won four straight. And hopefully we make it five straight tomorrow against the Pistons. And then they go and settle down and take care of business and seize the first team in the West, first seed in the West, you know, make my predictions of being a home court team uh, on the first two rounds at least uh, come true. And looking forward to it. If you guys have not yet, uh, signed up for the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Check out their DraftKings Sportsbook app, which is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. If you bet $5 on a pregame money line, you can win up to $150 in free bets if you do. So use the promo code BOOT as seen on your screen 
B-O-O-T. Download the app, sign up now, use that promo code, uh, place any $5 bet on any pregame money line to get $150 in free bets. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, uh, you can call uh, 1-800-GAMBLER. That is 1-800-426-2537. That is, again, if you have gambling problem, crisis counseling or referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. Anyways, I appreciate you all tuning in.